You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda. Uh, Today's podcast, it is a review. Now, it's not going to be your typical normal review, uh, movie review of Eternals. Uh, So if you're planning to see that movie, it's going to be a bunch of spoiler alerts. Uh, If you think this particular podcast will give you everything that you need out of that movie without going to see it. That is not the case. Um, The purpose of me doing this particular podcast on the Eternals is to just uh, pick out some of the reoccurring themes in mythology uh, and point out the underlying history, true history, that I feel they are telling. Okay, so... Here we go. So, I um, went to see the Eternals earlier this week. <sighs> I have to say, I I, am, I like Marvel's movies. This was my least favorite. I uh, thought it was all over the place from a plot perspective. Um, yeah, it was huh, him hum. But I wanted to bring to you all some of the reoccurring themes that I saw in it and the underlying message. Now, those of you that are following us on the YouTube channel uh, with the Truth Uncompromised show, you're following the series Mama Tara and the Consciousness of Her People. You know that we are into the Anunnaki mythology and uh, tying it into a lot of the history of the earth today and some of the hidden history of earth and tying it into uh, biblical text as well as other ancient mythologies. Okay. So of course, when I go to see the Eternals, that is the main thing I was looking for. And just as I suspected, they did not disappoint. So the opening scene, and I'm, I'm using a loose quote. I tried to find the exact quote uh of uh, the opening scene. So it said, uh, there was oneness. We brought light and balance to the planet. Okay. So now that may not be the exact quote, but that's a summary gist of that quote. So of course, already my mouth dropped. Because as I have been speaking on very, very recently over the past three or four weeks with the Mama Terra and the Consciousness of Her People series, I talked about how um, this whole concept of balance is a part of terraforming slash colonization. Okay, 
And I made that point because I said that the planet was already naturally whole. Or as this opening quote says in the eternal oneness. Okay. So with the colonization slash terraforming of the planet by the Anunnaki beings and them bringing their concept of light slash darkness and hence balance that created an unbalance. So meaning because they broke up the oneness or the wholeness of the planet naturally, what the planet already had, they brought duality. So duality is a part of terraforming, okay? So my mouth about dropped when that was literally the very first opening words of this movie. So I already knew what it was. I knew what that meant. Instantly. So then the, the next scene, they show uh, this little boy on a beach. And you could tell that it was in, um, don't know if that was Babylon or Mes Mesopotamia. Uh, same difference. But it was back in that era. Now, of course, what struck me, because when you know what you're looking at now, you can make the clear connection. Because you had the, the young boy on the beach, and then right behind the young boy, in the distance, you saw what they would call a mountain or a shaved mountain. And those of you that rock with us, you understand that those shaved mountains are the remnants of the ancient giant silicon trees. Okay? So that sand is the remnants or the sawdust from those silicon, ancient silicon giant trees that were cut down. And I was just speculating that those ancient giant trees had to be cut down during the time of some sort of invasion of the planet. And these beings used high tech, high technology to terraform the planet. And one of the main things that they did was cut down those ancient silicon trees, which changed the atmosphere from silicon to carbon, right? So that was the first thing that I noticed. Now, Mind you, that was after they opened up with saying that the planet already had oneness and they brought light and balance to it. And in the next scene, I see a young indigenous boy on a beach and in the distance you see a shaved off cliff, huge shaved off cliff. I don't know if you want to call it a cliff or a mountain, but I knew instantly that it was one of the ancient giant silicon trees that were chopped down. All right. 
So pretty much in that first scene, uh, you had some sort of um, monster come out the sea that was going to take out the young boy. And then you see uh, this superhero character move the boy out the way and defeat the monster character. All right. So you quickly learn in, in the movie, uh, they kind of go through history showing how they were in Mesopotamia, just the different ages they're showing in the movie and how these immortal beings or characters were always there. And uh, in one of the particular scenes, they showed where there was a war breaking out. I can't remember which war it was and because it matched one of the historical wars. And um, one of the uh, characters, the superhero characters wanted to intervene. And, you know, they all said pretty much that the main character said, you cannot, you know, our in, on our mission, we cannot intervene with what they are doing, okay? Now, what I found interesting, if you know uh, the mythologies, and even if you f uh, follow uh, the biblical mythologies and follow those particular wars, uh, but specifically we'll stick with mythology, uh, if you want to call it that, the Anunnaki mythology, you know that they had what was called deluges. All right. So you can think of a deluge as um, a end of time um, type of event. And recently folks have been calling them resets where civilization is wiped out. Um, well, not all of civilization and then restarted but what is used to wipe out the civilization are a very high scale technology. So now I'm just throwing that in there because they did not focus on that, of course, in this uh, particular movie. Uh, they just blamed all of these wars just on regular humanity, okay? Because the way the movie is set up the immortal characters or the Eternals, known as the Eternals, are the guardians of the planet. All right? Now, each one of the Eternals, they have specific powers. And I immediately thought, as they started showcasing some of the uh or all of their particular specific powers, I immediately thought back to the uh, Sumerian text going into uh, the Anunnaki beings having high technology and each one had what was called an ME. So those of you that are familiar with um, the Mesopotamian beings that they have on cut in stone, 
And it looks like the men are carrying a purse <laughs> or merce. That's what the EME is. So let's do a little technology. Uh, we're going to talk about the merces or the MEs. Uh, okay, where's my technology? Here we go. All right, there we go. So this is from metro.co.uk. Uh, the mysterious handbags of the gods spotted in ancient sculptures around the world. Okay, so I know a lot of you are familiar with these particular sculptures, right? So you see this particular uh, deity, whatever it, it represents, with the merce. That's called an M-E bag. And I'm going to get more specific into it in a second. And for some of you, this may be review from uh, Mama Terra and the Consciousness of Her People. All right. So you see in two different pet places, these particular, this one creature with a, it always just reminds me of a merce, <laughs> a man bag, <laughs> but literally they're called M-E's. In the Sumerian text. And so you even see this particular creature. I think this is going to be on you all's left. Uh, the beaked winged creature. You see him with a watch on. Actually two watches on. And everything honey. Okay. And so we read before. Where some people. Uh, it was said somewhere that they thought that the watch. Is represent. Uh, them having the ability to. Uh, teleport into different dimensions. I don't know why it just remind me of, I don't know, an Apple Watch or whatever. Uh, but I did read somewhere that some say this was a device to allow them to teleport to different uh, dimensions. Okay. All right. So the other character, you see him with the Merce as well, and I don't know if he's in a spaceship because uh, he's curled up like he's sitting down and he got this helmet and all of this jazz on. But these bags are called MEs, okay, in the uh, Sumerian text, and we're going to get into that in, in a little bit. So let's read what they have to say on Metro.co. You may think that handbags are a modern obsession, but it's been claim that ancient sculptures from several different cultures show deities clutching the same sort of accessory. Okay, so you see this Assyrian, and I know y'all are familiar with this one. Everybody should be familiar with this one. This Assyrian panel with old boy with his merce. Okay, and you see him once again. You see him with the watch on the watches plural on okay see him as well you see him with his beard all waved up and laid to the side dude is decked his waves on deck honey <laughs> all right but it does look like even on his headband he has um some sort of device also all right so all of that is some type of tech i just only thing i've seen saying that it may be is for teleporting. Um, but the bag he is carrying, that's called an ME. 
All right, so let's uh, keep on going. It's been claimed the unusual bits of luggage appears on sculptures made by Assyrians in modern-day Iraq, as well as depiction of a god race called the Anunnaki made by the Sumerian civilization living nearby. Art showing the god Qualzacult in ancient Mexico and even etchings found at the ancient religious sites Turkey Gobaki appear to feature similar bags. Okay, so in other words, these men uh, carrying these mercies, which are really called MEs, are appearing all over the world. And matter of fact, dude up here that looked like he's sitting down in a spaceship, I think that's Mexico, somewhere in Mexico, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, I just jotted my memory. All right, so it says, uh, just as the ancient Sumerians depicted their deities in a humanoid form, the ancient Egyptians and different cultures in the Americas did the same thing, it wrote. The obvious question here is why? Why did ancient cultures separate thousands of kilometers from each other, depict their deities in a nearby identical way. Okay, so the reason I am associating the eternal special powers with this, these MEs, or if you want to say Mercis, the man purse, because um, in the Eternals movie, all of the Eternals were spread out across the world as well. Okay, all throughout civilization. All right, because remember, they started out with the opening scene with them being in uh, Mesopotamia. Can't remember if it was Mesopotamia or Babylon. Okay, but heck, they was right next to each other. So whatever. Um, so that's what reminded me immediately of these Anunnaki beings being depicted throughout time, quote, quote or throughout different civilizations around the world. Furthermore, how is it even possible that the ancient Sumerians depicted their gods carrying a mysterious bag and that people halfway across the world did the same thing? Okay, now something else weird came up. Hopefully I'm pronouncing this right. I do not like um, the style. I think it's Hermes. Okay, if I'm not mistaken, that brand Hermes, which I think that's a Greek, isn't that a Greek mythology deity? So y'all know the Hermes bags? Uh, I think one of them bags costs like a lot of money, thousands and thousands of dollars. It's a big bag. Child, I can't remember the name of it. That's semi-cute. I wouldn't get them that. I wouldn't. That's a whole investment walking around. Child, if they don't go somewhere. But for the ultra-rich, you know, that's their business. And supposedly, they don't depreciate in value. Okay, but there is a current commercial running with the uh, Hermes bag. And child, the bag ugly to me, y'all. But they show this bag being coveted throughout the different 
civilization and ages. And everybody wanted this bag. And I immediately thought about the Emmys. I said, oh man, are they trying to play on like this Hermes bag? It's like an Emmy. Okay, you had men wanting a bag, women wanting a bag, etc., etc. So I'm just throwing that in there. That's a commercial that's currently running. Okay. So the obvious question here is why? Why did ancient cultures separate thousands of kilometers from each other, depicting their deities in nearly the identical way? Furthermore, how is it even possible that the ancient Sumerians depicted their gods carrying a mysterious bag and the people halfway around the world did the same thing? Okay, so here they're just showing the different cultures carrying the bags. Okay, so, um, shoot, I can't remember. I always confuse uh, the Sumerian and the Assyrians. I think that's the Sumerian the, with the beak dude. I think, oh boy, in the middle is the Assyrians. And um, dude on the end is the uh, Mexico people stuff. All right. Okay, yep, I was right. So uh, down here it says a bass relief depicting the priests in the coils of a snake made by the Omax civilization. Oh, okay. So in the old Mac civilization, okay, that look I knew that looked Mexico to me. At some point between the 11th and 5th century BC. Okay. Now someone just recently put out a video. Dang, y'all. I be watching so much stuff. <sighs> I don't save it all the time cuz you never know. I never know when I'm going to need it or not. So I apologize whoever put this out. I just can't remember who it was. But someone just did a video on the OMAC and they were saying that the OMAC were a uh, multi-racial race. That was the first time I ever saw that. And um, because we know that those huge OMAC heads that they dig up definitely have uh, if you want to say black features um, you know, today they're calling them African-American, but with the broad nose, thick lips, you know, no mistaking that the, those OMEC heads are black men, okay? The phenotype is black men, hands down. But this particular video, dude was showing where uh, they dug up some of the other OMAC heads, and they did have other phenotype, okay, uh, that looked more Caucasian phenotype, right? That was the first time I've ever saw that. So in the video, he was suggesting that the OMACs were a uh, multi-cultural or, or multi-ethnic or multi-phenotype race. I don't know that for sure. That is the first time that I've ever saw that. And I just bring that up because I'm looking at dude here with his MERS or his ME. And um, he doesn't look like, from this side view, he doesn't look like the typical OMAC. 
but that doesn't mean that that's not accurate. Um, but if I get some more information on that, I'll, I'll give an update on it. All right. So earlier this year, it was suggested that the bags were either evidence of time travel or contain some sort of forgotten technology. Now, discussions about the bags has erupted again after a YouTube video from the Kepler Telescope channel once again raised the question about their meaning and or origins. Okay, so it says the YouTube channel has this rather wild suggestion. Agricultural is known to have started near the Mount Ararat. Rat. This is also where the Ark of Noah was said to have came to rest and where the survivors of the Great Flood started a post-calicomist uh, destructive shoot y'all sorry i'm getting tongue-tied civilization that was spread out in every direction from this point and place so another armageddon or deluge in the um sumerian text they call those deluge or armageddon and more recently we're calling them resets all right could these bags represent seeds that were preserved on board the ark in some sort of vault? Maybe they were distributed across the world as we repopulated the globe after the great flood. Whom? What do you think? Okay, so I just wanted to, number one, pull this to show you the um, throughout different civilizations, the ME bags being held. But we do know where, what they mean. Sorry, I had to take a swig of water. So let's get to it. All right, so again, so we can stay focused on why I am bringing this up. Because in the movie, Eternals, all of the Eternal superheroes had special powers. And we're going to get into their specific special powers in a second. All right. So... Um, I am going to read what the M.E.s are from the book, Wars of the Anunnaki, Nuclear Self-Destruction in Ancient Sumer, by Dr. Chris H. Hardy. She did an excellent job. She took the different ancient text, uh, but specifically the Sumerian text, and she's really given a in-depth view of who these beings, the Anunnaki, were. All right, so let me get myself a little bit of light here. Okay, so I'm on page 54. Uh, the power and knowledge of the Anunnaki gods must have been overwhelming for the earthlings we were at the time. Add to that our awareness that we owe them everything for our exalted status as an evolved intelligent species, okay? And in the Eternals, that is a reoccurring theme as the Eternal superheroes sit back and they're, quote, quote, watching the Earthlings evolve, that was a, re a reoccurring thing. Uh, e uh, evolved intelligent species to all facets of our civilization and science. No wonder 
then that we tended to be compliant and altogether thankful for their role in our evolution unless they went to extreme schemes of destruction and annihilation. Okay. We must remark, though, that what we deem their omniscience was mostly based on technology and even so was very far from being what the term implies that is all-knowing, okay? For one thing, the communication with Nibiru, so Nibiru is equivalent to their spaceship in the Eternals they call the Domo. And I kind of chuckled at that because at, there's literally, y'all, a software program called Domo. I fell all the way out. I'm like, tech is always stealing something, all right? But anyhow, Nibiru is strictly technological, okay? So let me just go back over that. For one thing, the communications with Nibiru is strictly technological, okay? Same thing with the Domo and the Eternals, right? There is a special ME or computer to establish a permanent link, the bond heaven, earth, or Duranki in the Sumerian Ikor, then in the Egyptian one, and finally in the Sinai. So she's in here telling you that the man Merses <laughs> or the MEs. So what's in that bag? It's technology. Okay, so I am linking the power of the um, eternal beings or the eternal superheroes to that of each one of them having a merce or a per oh, uh, having a merce or a purse. Okay. So let's continue on what the MEs are according to the Sumerian text. All right, but the peep game when she was going through the different civilizations that those MEs were in. On one specific occasion related in the tablets, the communication channel is voluntarily severed by Enlil so that I knew wouldn't be able to interfere with the disputable actions he planned on Earth, namely before he raided Inky's gold mining facility in the Abzu and abducted the Lulus to bring them back as a workforce in summer, says the myth of the Pakis text. Okay. So just again here, uh, I mean, I think that's pretty self-explanatory, but I just want to put the link between Nibiru, which is really a ship, a ship with technology, all right? And it was used as a communication hub, and in the Eternal, it's called, Eternals, it's called Domo, all right? Okay, it says, but... The best proof is a negative one. The Anunnaki definitely show they lack uh, telepathy, clair clairvoyance, and uh, 
psychic knowledge at a distance. The only reception psychic we encounter in the tablets is precognitive through dreams. All right, so I'm trying to get to the point because I don't want to go through all of that. Um, so the point she's trying to make is that they really weren't these mysterious, uh, mysterious, um, powerful beings. They just had the technology. Okay. Um, so, all right. So da, 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 let me get to it. If Inanna had perceived telepathically at the moment she arrived at the gate of her sister's abode in Abzu, the latter intentions on intentions to strip her of her M.E. Okay, so she was setting up a scene where Inanna was being set up to get her M.E. bag taken from her. So meaning, if she was all this deep, um, spiritually connected, this, that, and the third, and had the psychic intuitive powers, then she would have been able to feel that setup, all right? So the author is laying out for you how these Anunnaki beings, it wasn't about all of this special, strong spiritual power. What made them who they were was just strictly the technology, and the MEs were the huge factor of each one of these beings' technology, okay? Um, so, uh, da, 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 later to intentionally strip her of her M.E.s that she carried in her sacred um, ornaments and clothing and to arrange a mock trial to take her out. She would have turned back immediately at the gates while she still had immense power and her plane, which she put into quotes, was a celestial boat at hand. Okay, so let me get down to it. I'm trying to get down to the ME stuff. Okay, the above failure of Inanna, Inanna, albeit still young and distressed by the taking out of her uh, lover, Demunzi, seems to imply not only a lack of clairvoyance and precognition, but also of omni. Potent. So in other words, again, they were not these mysterious, highly spiritual beings with psychic ability. They had technology. This event happened, of course, because she became the lady of the M.E.s. Queen Brightly uh, responded righteous, righteously I'm sorry, righteous clothed in radiance, the chief of the gods and now endowed with the most powerful M.E. Okay. So that's it. Um, I just wanted to equate what the M.E.s did and each one of the M.E.s. And I, I couldn't find the other marker in the book where it talked about how each one of these M.E.s had a particular special power. So each one of the Anunnaki beings that had it had a specific power and a specific set of instructions 
on how to run their particular area on earth that they were responsible for, okay? So I equate this to the Eternals having their specific powers, okay? And then in the book, it also states, because the book is uh, just translating the Sumerian text, it also states that there was a master M.E., so now let's go into uh, the different powers of the Eternals, all right? So uh, this is off of Polygon. Eternals ranked by, by their powers, okay? Um, Ajak, her powers were healing and celestial communication. Um so I'll just read a little bit, but she was the one that was able to communicate directly with the top, quote, quote, guy or God. Okay. Um, let's see, just to go into what they're saying. Um, okay, she was a party leader, seemed to rank as a Black Widow level hand-to-hand -hand fighter if she wants to mix it up with the Deviants, okay? All right, and the Deviants were um, like the beings that you see re reoccurring throughout time or the ages or the civilizations that were causing havoc on the planet. So particularly uh, killing the earthlings. And it was the job of the Eternals to protect the earthlings from the deviants. Okay. All right. So what did they say in her specific power is? Um... I'm not going to go into all that. We'll just say healing and celestial communication. So she was the top leader in the eternal groups, and she had the ability to heal, and she also had the ability to direct communication with the top guy. So the top guy, he had the master M.E., okay? And so as I go down a little bit, we'll talk about the, the top guy, okay? So... Ajax, M.E., or Purse, had the powers of healing and celestial communications with the mothership, per se. And <clears throat> if we were translating this into the Sumerian text, she would also have a set of instructions in her M.E. on how her particular area that she was assigned to protect should be ran. All right? So this is Kingo, literally uh, finger guns. And so as you can see, this is the deviant being or creature or monster. All right. So he, he just, his fingers, he could just use his fingers like guns. Okay. So that's pretty much his M.E. per se. Uh, let's see if they do anything else. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't care about that all feel-good stuff. All right. Um, Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh. Superpower punching. Okay, so he was really strong, and I'm going to go a little bit in uh, 
to a little bit more detail into him. Let's see if they give us any more about him. Um, Yoga Mint is definitely stronger and more enduring than the other Eternals, but like King Go, he has pretty limited cosmic powers. He can make a shiny gold gauntlet around his punching fist and then punch things. All right, so Gilgamesh, those that know a little bit about mythology know that that's a mythical character. So on uh, here, you see here's Gilgamesh, all right? And so here it says he is um, master of animals, grasping a lion in his left arm, a snake in his right hand. He's, uh, uh, this came from the Assyrian, okay? So Gilgamesh was heroes in ancient Mesopotamian mythology. So I had, like I told y'all in the little movie, when they hit the opening scene and they talked about, we brought light. And uh, we brought balance. I automatically knew, okay, they talking about these Anunnaki beings. Then the next scene, when I saw them on uh, Babylon or uh, Mesopotamia, I knew it was the Anunnaki automatically. And then when they said Gilgamesh, I said, oh, yeah, this, this is the Sumerian stuff. Okay, same story. All right. So, Gilgamesh was a hero in ancient Mesopotamian mythology and the protagonist of the epic Gilgamesh, an epic poem written in Akkadian during the late 2nd millennial BC. He was possibly a, a historical king of the Sumerian city-state Urak. Okay, where's Urak located? Uh, Urak. Don't, it sounds like Iraq. Yeah, baby, it is Iraq. Ciao. Y'all peep that? See, I didn't learn me something new, baby. So Iraq was used to be called Iraq back up in the Mesopotamian days or the Sumerian when it was a Sumerian city-state. Ciao. Did not know that. But anyway, so he was, uh, Gilgamesh was a, possibly a king of the Sumerian state of Iraq, which is modern day Iraq, which was post-human, which was destroyed pretty much. Okay. He, his rule probably would have taken place sometime in the beginning of the early dynasty period, Mesopotamia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're giving it, uh, that's the time period, C, 2900 through 2350 BC. Though he became a major figure in Sumerian legend during the third dynasty of Ur. Okay, so I'm not going to go through all the dude's little story. I just wanted to bring this up. Uh, to just show you the correlations between the Eternals and the Mesopotamian slash Sumerian uh, civilizations. Okay? 
All right. So to me, Gilgamesh was um, either a direct Anunnaki or at a minimum of that Anunnaki bloodline. All right. Um, let me see. This slide, this part kind of intrigued me when it says the epic of Gilgamesh was rediscovered in the library of Asher Banapal in 1849. What's this? Where's this uh Asher Banapal? Where's that located? Oh, uh, do 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 I don't know where that's located. All right, well, whatever. After being translated in the early 1870s, it caused widespread controversy due to similarities between portions of it and the Hebrew Bible. Chow, I done told y'all, you can line that Bible up with the Sumerian text and get you uh, the Book of Enoch and get you the lost book of Inky, and I guarantee you they all complement each other. And you should be able to understand exactly what they are talking about in the Bible. So I know it did kick up a stir, but make no mistake about it, those things predate the Bible. All right? Okay, so that's on Gilgamesh, y'all. So I just want to give y'all, put y'all up on game on Gilgamesh. Oh, and if you look here, you can see even behind it with this particular scene. Child, I might go have to go rewatch it again. Um, but you can see that looks like it's somewhere in um, Sumerian. I'm looking at the stuff on the walls. Okay, you can see where that's in Sumerian. Okay. All right, so Droog, to me, he was the baddest one of them all because he had mind control power, baby. He wasn't no joke. And he had an attitude throughout the whole movie. Child, he just didn't have no patience for nothing or no one, but he had mind control, baby. And it immediately made me think, wait a minute, because I've always said that my, my suspicion is when resets are happening upon the planet, number one, they're planned. So resets equal, again, um, apocalyptic events or deluges. I said that Something something had to have happened to the minds of the people. Something had to have happened. And I even feel that many resets happen. So you have the big ones, which you have these large um, wars, all right? And they're using this technology that, wipes out things on the planet and specifically I believe and they show you in the Eternals and one of the scenes in the Eternals how they were able one of the characters was able to freeze an entire section of earth literally and I immediately thought of 
like the Arctic, the Arctic and all of that jazz and areas of Alaska, okay? Those resets were occurring, but I also thought the minds of the people had to have changed. Something, some sort of technology changed the people's minds, okay? Because specifically, for example, I feel that the Civil War, after the Civil War, that's the last time that we know that we're starting to figure out, those of us that follow this information, that there was a huge rewrite of history. Because what they tell you the Civil War was fought over, that definitely was not the case, number one. And number two, it was a shift in power roles. And it's like, nobody really remembers. You would think, because that wasn't that long ago. Although I know they rewrote history, all that jazz, one, two, three, four, five. It's just weird and eerie to me. It just seems like that a part of these resets or these Armageddons are also some sort of mind control manipulation slash reprogramming of the mind to carry on a new set of history. So when I saw dude's character and mind control, I said, whoop, there it is. Um, so it's, uh, they're saying... Can something be a cool power if it is fundamentally unethical? There's a reason the comic version of Droog has been pretty consistently evil from the 1970s. Um, the movie version is more troubled and bitter than the sadistic and monstrous. And he's a great big open moral question that the film doesn't resolve. Is he doing humanity any good by controlling people to keep them from killing each other? Now, that's what they said in the movie, uh, part of in the movie. Uh, but it says, regardless, in terms of fighting deviants, his power is well nigh useless since it doesn't seem to work on all of them. So I found that interesting. About the best he can do is force humans to do the fighting for him. So in other words, these wars that broke out over the years, mm, mm, that's some heck of a mind control to me. You're doing fighting on behalf of others. Hmm. Support the frontline fighters on his team by getting civil, uh, civilians out of the way faster or make people forget about the Eternals after they move on. So that part right there, the ability that he can make folks forget and kind of reprogram their thoughts kind of put me in the mind of what happens during these apocalypse slash Armageddon, slash deluges, slash resets. So in other words, that's his ME or his purse or MERS. His powers has a lot more applications outside combat than his peers' ability, but those applications are pretty 
squeaky. Okay, well, y'all need to get up on game because his power is the most powerful of it all. When you can control the mind, that's the most powerful. But peep game, it didn't work on everybody. Some beings was like, uh, no, you can go somewhere with that. All right, so let's get on Thena. Powers, makes weapons, fights real good. Um, so I thought about Thena's character uh, because in the Book of Enoch, it talks about how um, women were the only ones initially when they were mining for the for the gold and minerals and the bronze and all of that, the precious metals that the women were the only ones that the Anunnaki would allow to excavate um, those things because since planet Earth is a feminine deity, to have men do it would be like... A, uh, like it in violation of her, although it's in violation in general to be es excavating her, period. But that's what reminded me of Athena um, when they were talking about that she makes weapons because I thought about the weapons and, and the metals that she's using to ma make them. Um, so what else I want to say about Athena? Oh, and in the movie, Athena's mind... One of the deviants, because the deviants, what was happening with them, they kept evolving, getting stronger with their particular powers also. Okay, and I'll tell you in a minute why they got like that. And again, all of this is spoiler alert. If you have not seen the movie and you want to see it, just warning you. Okay, um, but one of the deviants had... Um, mess with her mind where she was kind of uh, going to turn on the Eternals. And then um, Wes's face wiped out her mind of that event, but she had to be watched all the time because she would turn on you in a minute, okay? Which Gilgamesh was the one that watched her, okay? But, so that's all with her. All right, so... Uh, Icarus has eye lasers flight, right? So they uh, considered him the baddest of all of the characters. So, of course, when I think of his laser eyes, I think of that uh, direct energy weapon technology. Okay? So, again, I'm thinking it in terms of the Sumerian text. And his little man, Merce, or M.E., he had that direct energy weapon technology. <coughs> All right? Um, but, honey, he was a hot mess. He was a real, real hot mess. Um, let me see what else they say about him. Uh, that's all I'm going to say on him. Okay, so, Fatos. Um, his power was literally technology, y'all. So, um, he was just a technology man. He would come up with different, uh, technological inventions. Okay. So 
says sometimes he uses his cosmic powers, which the cosmic powers, remember that's that M-E purse. In the Sumerian text world, that's that M-E purse. So his cosmic powers to create technological objects like his floating stepping stones in the movie's opening act or the electrical teether weapons he uses in the final conflict. Sometimes he just creates uh, glowing golden blueprints for the mechanisms he imagines, okay? So he was just real good with technology, y'all, of creating different things. And in the movie, he was uh, trying to come up, he had to come up with some technology to stop, uh, to help stop the apocalyptic event, all right, to help them stop the uh, apocalyptic event. All right. Um, okay, so uh, Makari or Makakari super speed. I didn't see her too much in there. Okay, so that's her M.E. that what was in her uh, purse. Super speed. She wasn't too much in there. Um which is another reason the movie was kind of hem ho to me because it, it was really all over the place, family. Uh, let's see what else they talked about. Yeah, whatever. That's all on her. Now, Sprite. Sprite's power is illusion. Uh, so let me see. Sprite doesn't get much joy out of her ability to create thoroughly convincing simulations of seeming anything she can imagine. And it's a shame because it is a great power to have. Yes, she has the power of illusions, creating illusions. So hence, that's what's in her MERS or her ME. Um, her powers, her intangible illusion can directly hurt her enemies but she has an endless array to confuse, distract, and disable them. And in a pinch, she can disappear entirely, essentially giving Sprite the, co the coveted power of invisibility as a um, free bonus. Now, this is why I pull extra information on Sprite, because when I heard um, Sprite, I knew exactly what that really meant. But it says, on top of that, her abilities have more potential than anyone's else in terms of letting her live as an interesting life, whether she wants to mesmerize crowds with a storytelling that comes with a 3D light show or hit a bar in disguise. Okay, so this is what Sprite really means, family. Sprite is really lightning, Sprites or red sprites are large-scale electric discharges that occur high that occur high above thunderstorm clouds, giving rise to quite varied range of visual shapes flickering in the lights in the night sky. They are usually triggered by the discharge of positive lightning between an underlying thunder. Uh, cloud and the ground. Sprites appear as luminous red-orange flashes. They often occur in clusters above the triposphere at an altitude range of 50 to 
90 kilometers. Uh, sporadic visual reports of sprites go back to at least 1886, but they were first photographed on July 4th, 1994 by scientists from the University of Minnesota and have subsequently been captured in a video recording many thousands of times. Sprites are sometimes inaccurately called up upper atmosphere lightning. However, sprites are cold plasma phenomena that lack the hot channel temperatures of trifospheric lightning. So they are more akin to fluorescent tube discharges than to lightning discharges. Sprites are associated with various other upper atmospheric optical phenomenon, including blue jets or elves. So let's look at a sprite. Okay. So there you go. That's a sprite in the atmosphere. Okay. Let's see if they have any more. Uh, oh, this is a good one down here, y'all. That's a real good one. That's a real good one. Okay, so they're even giving you the different, um, the atmospheric levels that the sprite occurs. Okay, so immediately when I heard of the eternal character sprite, I instantly knew what her M.E. power was about, okay? So that's her true power. But I found it interesting that they also gave her the power of illusion, all right? Now, just real quick, just to remind you, bear with me here. I want to find the atmospheric... Hopefully I have it there. Do, 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 do. If I can't find it, I'll keep it moving. Uh, hopefully I have. Maybe I don't have it. If not, I'll keep it moving. Oh, here's the ionosphere. Nope, that's not it. Okay, yep, this is what I wanted to show. Uh, let's see, how can I show this for you? Okay, um, I may not be able to show this. Huh? I may, I may, let's see. Nope, I can't show it at the same time. Okay, I was just going to show you a quick pic of the um, atmosphere on the different levels that uh, we got from Vibe of Cosmos. I took a picture of it, but the way I have to show it um, it's, I'm not set up for it. They didn't do a bad job with this. So let me come back with the display. Uh, so they didn't do a bad job. Okay. So these different levels, the stratosphere, the uh, mesosphere, and the thermosphere are giving you the different levels of the atmosphere. Okay. So you can see the sprite happen. So I guess the sprite um, is the, um, the squiggly stuff. And then the elf 
is this circular thing. Now, some say that that is that electromagnetic plasma energy hitting the dome that creates the sprites. Okay. All right. So that's all with Sprite. I did want to go into that so y'all can understand what that really meant. Okay. All right. So Cersei, matter transformation. Now, child, let me go on and sip. <laughs> Her particular character, um, and I think I seen her in that other Asian movie too, where she was um, the rich Asian, it was about the rich Asian man, and um, he was marrying a not so rich Asian lady, but his whole family were like billionaires, old money. And she was one of the relatives. I think she was in that movie. But anyhow, <laughs> Cersei, power matter, matter transformation. All right. So she was one of the main Eternals uh, in the movie that they focused on. So her M.E. matter transformation, I think that's a pretty powerful power per se but i immediately thought of her when once i saw her using her powers throughout the movie i said you know what this lady can create mud floods okay she can literally create mud floods and then in the movie she was the one that changed a entire area to stop the apocalypse, which was really to destroy Tiamat slash Earth. But in here, they were putting Tiamat as some sort of celestial, but it's still planet Earth. Okay, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, she was able to ice over that entire area. Okay, which immediately made me think of the ability, some technology, the of the ability to create mud floods, which is really to liquefy the ground, okay, and cover huge areas and turn it into pretty much mud, okay, which we feel that shout out to the mud flood community that that was a weapon that was a way to reset populations as well and we can see in different buildings that stand today around the planet of these ancient buildings being half submerged in mud okay just like we can see today the arctic being iced over that civilization was iced over and i believe some sort of ancient war broke off and some sort of technology was used that either iced it over or the area was so damaged from the war used with 
uh, that technology that the planet herself iced over the area to repair. Okay, now some say that the Arctic is iced over to hold something in that's trapped and all of that jazz. You know, I don't know that. You know, all of it is speculation. Okay, so that's her power. Matter, transformation. So the ability to change anything non-living into else seems ridiculously overpowered for a team where one person whole deal is hitting things really hard. Uh, what is they talking about? Um, uh, yeah, I agree with them. I don't think that they let her use her powers as dope as they really were. The only powerful really thing you saw her do was, like I said, when she froze over something on the end. And I guess that was really dope to me because, you know, I understand the backstories of uh, folks talking about the mud flood community uh, and the resets and also um, the Arctic being an ancient civilization that was iced over. Okay, so I understood what her powers really, really are. Um, but I agree with them. The only time you really saw her use them was definitely when um, at the end she froze over that area, okay? All right, so let me look at my notes real quick. So I had other stuff. So that's their power. So that's the Eternals powers. So again, their responsibility, they're supposed to be the guardians of the planet. All right, uh, guarding the humans or the earthlings from the deviants. Okay, so now we finna get into the main plot of the Eternals. Okay, <sighs> ciao, Asherim. So that's the main dude. Okay, so if you're into the Anunnaki mythology, you can look at him as um, Enlil, or you can look at him as Anu, either way. You know, if you into the Bible, you can pick, um, I don't know if you want to pick the Lord uh, or the Lord. So whatever main deity you want to pick that's who ashram is so the main plot of the movie eternals ashram who reveals that the mission of the eternals was not to fight the deviants but to prepare earth for the emergence ashram explains that for millions of years the celestials have been planting their seeds Mm-hmm. On populated planets for new celestials to be born with the deviants sent by them to destroy the apex predators of each planet to ensure the development of intelligent life. Child, let me stop and sip my water. Because this is the same reoccurring theme. Now this, we don't so much get in the Sumerian text as far as them um, 
wanting to, um, how do I, I want to say it? I'm trying to get to where they, they were saying, uh, planting their seeds on a populated planet for new celestials. You don't get them directly saying that in the Sumerian text, but what you do get in the Sumerian text are them talking about uh, genetic engineering these different species. And then over time, the different species get destroyed, i.e. the apocalypse slash resets slash deluges. And you always hear them talk about in the Sumerian text is the development of the earthlings of intelligent life. Okay, and specifically with uh, Inky, he made the decision to give some of the earthlings, which was his direct creation. So meaning they were uh, genetically engineered, so they had part Anunnaki in them. He gave certain of them the ability to have occult, high scientific knowledge and gave it in their hands to develop a priesthood. And their responsibility was to pretty much manage the rest of the earthlings, manage earth, and just gradually um, watch and guide intelligent life. Okay, so that's what's the reoccurring theme throughout the Sumerian text. Now, this part about the planting seeds... I equip, equate that in the Sumerian text to number one, the different breeding that the fallen angels, okay, this is about y'all Bible too, the fallen angels mating with the earthly women or the earthling women. So to me, that meant the plant planting of the seeds. That's what they tell you that up in the Bible. And they also tell you that that was going on in the Sumerian text. It was twofold. The mating with um, earthlings and then also genetic engineering. Okay. And then those of you who have watched the dome, now y'all done know, y'all know, now up in that dome, wasn't it all about that egg? That egg that showed up in the water and how they had to guard the egg. And then at the end, you just pretty much figured out that that egg was just the seed. And the goal was to develop their own people on planet Earth. Okay? To take over the planet, pretty much. Okay? So I found that interesting that once again, that reoccurring theme shows up in the Eternals, all right? So however, when the Deviants evolved and began hunting the planet's native population, so again, hunting the indigenous people with some chilling, chilling mind and their own business, the celestials created the Eternals to call them, okay? So the Eternals basically found out, because, you know, they was like, we all had in a bag of chips. <laughs> because of our personal powers, which, 
you know, we know in the Sumerian text, that's that M-E slash Merce slash purse. Come to find out, they were created. Child, that took them all the way back. They like, what? Where Asherim finally told them, yeah, y'all was created. I created each and every one of you. I gave y'all. I programmed your powers. And I immediately thought of them M.E.s. Them set of M.E. bags that was given out with those special instructions and powers to each Anunnaki being. Slash eternal. So the deviants was all pissed off too. Because they were created also. So the deviants kind of put the Eternals up on game of what was really going on. They was like, yeah, you know, we was basically created because what Asherim had ran a game on the Eternals was like, yeah, you know, the deviants, we created the deviants to destroy these other, um, what did they say, APAC predators that the Anunnaki created. And so the apex predators who were first that the Anunnaki created, they got out of control. So they created the um, the uh, deviants to get them back into control. But ultimately, the deviants got up on game and discovered none of this matters. You just want us down here to keep Earth safe. Until you deem whatever amount of power you need, which you are drawing that power from the indigenous slash native population, you're drawing that power from their energy and from Tiamat's energy. So you can just go and colonize other planets. So the deviants got up on game like, oh, so you just creating us. To just turn around and destroy us. But Asherim was telling the deviants and um, the Eternals that they were guardians of the planet. And that their creations, the deviants and the apex predators, that they originally created them to keep things in balance. So do you understand what I was saying going back to the original point when the planet was already chilling, the planet was oneness. The planet was oneness. And then here they brought their colonizing behinds and they split the oneness. And so they have to keep creating things to keep it in balance. Okay, but the ultimate goal of Asherim is basically to harvest all of the energy from the planet, including the people, to just turn around and go and colonize another planet. All right, but in order to go to the other planet, they have to harness all of the energy from the one planet and hence destroy the planet. So when the Eternals, matter of fact, the Eternals themselves, they don't even know how many planets, honey, they done participated in helping destroy. 
They don't even know because their minds are being reset or reprogrammed. So once they got put up on game, they like, oh, heck no. So in which the deviants, now the deviants had to put them up on game. Okay. Which I still never understood why the deviants, which this is bad movie plot, why the deviants and the um, Eternals just didn't team up together, but they had to keep that fight going, which I never understood that. Okay. And then you had the one character. Uh, let me bring old boy back up. Now, all this is spoiler alert, y'all. All this is spoiler alert at this point with the Eternals. So, uh, old boy was the one that um, Icarus, they found out, wind up killing the main lady, which uh, the one that had the direct communication, Ajax, he wind up killing her because Ajax got put up on game by the deviant. And she was like, oh, heck no. So, oh boy, uh, what is his name? Icarus still was following orders. So he wound up taking the main lady out and he was the one to the end, even when the Eternals confronted him and was like, well, man, you mean to tell me that we're all created, number one, and that we're just being put on this planet to just pretty much protect it so it can be destroyed, the entire indigenous and native population. We don't want no part of that. He like, well, what do you mean? So he was just still following orders. So ultimately they had to team up to battle him to save the population, to save planet earth. This is a direct correlation story of Inky and Enlil. So Enlil is Icarus, and the Inkyites is pretty much um, Circe. Okay, they are saving humanity. Okay, because in the Sumerian text, um. And Leo wanted to wipe Earth out totally, except the difference in the Sumerian text is Enki made a decision to save um, a specific bloodline, his bloodline, Noah them, and gave Noah a set of instructions, this, that, and the third, and that's when the deluge of the flood happened. But make no mistake about it, on planet Earth, in the Sumerian text, they talk about there were deluges before that. Now, they didn't talk about that in, in the in, in Eternals. They just showed multiple historical wars. Okay? All right. So, uh, let me get back to my notes. Make sure I'm not missing anything. All right. So, yeah. So that's what, so they were saying, however, when the deviants evolved and began hunting the planet's native population, the celestials created the Eternals to call them. With the reversal of the blip, Earth has reached the necessary population for the birth of the celestial Tiamat, which will re result in 
Earth's destruction. So, real quick, um, uh, the the um, blip. I think I said burp, but I meant blip. Let me uh, put the screen back on. So hold on a second, fam. All right, so the blip, also known as the decimation, as the snap, is a major fictional event depicted in Marvel Cinema University franchise in which half of all living things in the universe chosen at random were exterminated by Thanos. So that's the snap. That's Thanos' snap in the Avengers. Okay? So that snap is also in the Sumerian text called the Deluge. And y'all Bible, that's called the Apocalypse or the Flood. Okay, remember the first uh, apocalypse that they talk about in the Bible is the flood. But make no mistake about it, before that flood, there was uh, deluges before that and after that. Okay. All right, so that's the, uh, the blip is the snap. Okay, the Thanos snap. All right, let me go back to my notes. Um, so... Earth has reached the necessary population for the birth of the celestial Tiamat. So let's look at Tiamat fam. Now we know Tiamat as meaning planet Earth. So let me pull this up. We're going to go into this. Okay. All right. There we go. There we go. Tiamat, in the religion of ancient Babylon, Tiamat Akkadian. Can I, and I'm, if, uh, I know y'all can't see us on the, um, the podcast stream, but those that can see it on YouTube, that's cuneiform writing. See those symbols? That's cuneiform. Okay. In the religion of ancient Babylon, Tiamat Akkadian is a primordial goddess of the sea. Mating with Abzu. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The god of the groundwater to produce younger gods. She is the symbol of chaos, primordial creation. She is referred to as a woman and described as the glistening one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we know Tiamat as another, another name for planet Earth, um, which she was a lot larger than original. And when that galactic war took place, she was, quote, quote, injured. I say that galactic war really wasn't a war, but it was an invasion to subdue her and terraform her. Okay? So I found this pretty much interesting that they're saying, uh, referring to Tiamat as the goddess of the sea, and she was mating with somebody. So do you all understand when they're talking about they need to plant their seeds. You get it? It 
is suggested that there are two parts to the Tiamat myths. The first in which Tiamat is a creator goddess through a sacred marriage between different waters, peacefully creating the cosmos through successive generations. And the second, uh, Chaos Cramp, Tiamat is considered the monstrous embodiment of primordial chaos. Uh-huh. Some sources identify her with the image of a sea serpent or dragon. In Elish, the Babylonian epic of creation, she gives birth to the first generation of deities, her husband Absu correctly assuming they are planning to, to take him out and usurp his throne, later makes war upon them and is taken out. In rage, she also wars upon her husband's uh, death, taking on the forms of a massive sea dragon. She is then slain by Inky's son, the storm god Marduk. But not before she had brought forth the monsters of the Mesopotamian Pathion, including the first dragons whose body she filled with poison instead of blood. Marduk then forms the heaven and earth from her divided body. So let's break this down. Because what had really happened was Tiamat was minding her business. She got invaded by Inky now. Marduk then forms the heaven and the earth from her divided body. Remember when I told y'all in the opening, they said that there was oneness and they brought the light and they created balance. That was a nice way of them describing the invasion slash terraforming slash colonization of planet Earth, Mama Earth, Mama Tiamat. And in the process, they came here to mate, to plant their seed. With the earthling women or the indigenous women. And hence they're saying here with Mother Earth. Because they were trying to use her to birth other planets or celestials. Okay. So the whole thing that was talked about in the gods of uh, the war of the gods and the injuring of Tiamat, that's really what they're talking about in the Eternals. They were talking about after the fact that she had been conquered And they are trying to birth from her other celestials using their seed, 
what they're calling their seed. They need her to birth other celestials. Okay? But the indigenous population and the natives have to be destroyed. Okay? All right. So let me go back to my notes. I think I'm about almost done now. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Um I think I covered everything on this. Yeah, I think that's it, fam. <laughs> so that was the Eternals family. It is definitely 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 the story of the Anunnaki beings. It is the story of um, what happened on planet Earth, okay? So if you have an understanding of the Bible, uh, the Sumerian texts, mythologies, it is the same exact story, family. The exact same story. Uh, so, you know, you can go watch the movie, uh, and give your take on it. I am going to go back and watch it again because a lot of times I have to watch things two, three times to catch every little nick and cranny. Uh, I had a hard time with the movie because they were all over the place. Um, they need to do a better job. This is the worst Marvel film that I had seen from a plot perspective. Most people, when I started uh, looking at what the main plot of the movie was about, because I just wanted to see everybody else's take on it. Most people struggled with it. I was able to pick it out because I know the Sumerian text and I know other ancient texts slash mythologies. Okay. Uh, so, you know, if you want to give it a, a look at the movies and see what your particular take on it is. But again, to me, with all of uh, Marvel's particular uh, productions, they always put out um, the, the, the past, what things that happened in the past as far as resetting, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and things that, quote, quote, are supposed to happen in the future based on mythology. So the same old, same old thing. Uh, the biggest thing that I got out of it is that these particular invaders that have put themselves up on a, a pedestal as these supreme beings that should be worshipped need the energy of other planets slash living entities. And in this case, in our particular realm, Tiamat feminine energy in order for them to create. They are not natural creators. As a matter of fact, they had to split her creation, her natural wholeness slash oneness creation in order to do anything with it. In order to do anything with her natural organic energy. Okay. 
So that's where the whole concept of needing to be in balance, which is why in this particular realm, there's always this concept of needing to be in balance because the original organicness of Mother Earth slash Tiamat, she was already whole. She didn't need to be balanced. She was already whole. Okay? So they had to split her from oneness, from wholeness, to mate with her. Okay? So now I've already alluded to what that really means. I know a lot of people struggle with that. Um, you know, it is what it is. But they keep consistently showing you what really went on and what is going on. And this whole concept of returning to the divine feminine, that's what it is about. That the planet Earth, Mother Earth, Mama Tiamat is going back to wholeness. Not balance, wholeness. Okay, so with that said, uh, that's my take on the Eternals. Um, so you go ahead and give it a look and, you know, tell me what you think about it. This is Rhonda with WTUZ Radio Podcast. Uh, I wish everyone well on this Sunday. And if you're not subscribed to us, I highly encourage you to like Share and subscribe. Peace and love, family.